It's your Locked On Flyers podcast for Wednesday, November 16th, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is so thrilled to be bringing you our conversation with Chris Terrian on today's show. Can't wait. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here as always with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Flyers. That's where we post about our episodes and the latest Flyers news. You can also email the show at lockdownflyers at gmail. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about last night's game versus Columbus, but we want you to hear the entire interview with Chris Terrian. So we're going to try and get to that as quickly as possible. Locked On Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you're listening. So subscribe. You'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Plus, we're over on YouTube, so subscribe there as well. Russ, I got to say, after coming back from two goals down twice in one game to Columbus, it was really just the lackluster effort in overtime that bothered me the most. They had so much puck possession, but didn't do much with it. Yeah, I don't know. I was bothered by a little more. I was bothered by the lack of speed most of the night. I was bothered definitely by the way the overtime went and just the way they fell apart in front of Carter Hart. Like, it's just those those three things. You know, it's positive to come back from two goal deficits, and then it's a negative to have two two goal deficits, too. Yeah, I think on the good side, really happy for Noah Cates. He had a, yes. a really good game, and Travis Konechny continues to play really well, yep. which is a good thing for him to keep that streak going. I mean, this is a broken-down Columbus team. They lost more players tonight, and and the Flyers couldn't beat them. In the end, that's that's a failure. Yeah, we are going to talk more about this game on tomorrow's show as we see what we can learn from it up against Boston, who is one of the top teams in the league. But without further ado, here's Chris Terrian. All right, we are absolutely honored to welcome former Flyers player and legend Chris Terrian oh. to the show to talk about his new book, Road to Redemption. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the uh, the plug, the legend here. At least the way I look at it, but I, I do. It is great to be out with you guys and. Uh, it's been a, a busy couple of weeks, certainly with the book coming out and uh, and getting a lot of, uh, you know, whether it's podcasts or radio interviews, TV spots or whatnot, just get the word of mouth out. Because I think after we're done talking, it's it's more it's not just a hockey book. It's a, it's a, like a life journey book that I think mm -hmm. ultimately will be able to help people. So that was really uh, what the book, de you know, evolved or devolved into from from what, what it started off as. And uh uh, I'm very proud of it. It's it's good. It's good stuff. It's got some good stories, some good hockey stories, but more importantly, it's got a great, a great story of, of redemption and in uh, recovery. And uh, and I think that that probably impacts many, many, almost every family you can find somewhere in the world that doesn't have somebody that's impacted by addiction uh, or something uh, that that's uh, you know doesn't appeal necessarily to the masses, but 
somebody needs help. And I think that that ultimately hope that this book is what ends up helping people or can find maybe, maybe their own blueprint in, in what they read in this. Yeah, Chris, I knew this was going to be an honest book when I was reading about your draft. I'm a draft guy. I cover the draft for Sirius. So, um, and I saw with, at the 90 draft, you're, you're sitting there in the stands and you're not wearing deodorant. And I'm like, Oh, this is a good start to this guy's career. He's, he's not wearing deodorant. And you know, that 90 draft was a really good draft. You know, I, I went back and looked at it, you know, there's Ned Ved and Robert Lang, Mike Dunham, Craig Conroy, a lot of GMs in there, a lot of future GMs, but also great players. Sergey Zuboff, a hall of famer. Uh, it was a good draft. You, you, you just mentioned guys that were like, you know, at like, you know, later picks. I mean, if you went through the yeah. first round of that draft, I mean, it's considered to be maybe, I think, 03 was the other draft, but this yeah. was considered to be like 1990. It was like maybe the best draft ever. And yeah. that's how I ended up. I was a 47th pick that year, which was a third round pick back then because there's less teams. But now I tell people I'd be a middle of the second round pick. Yeah, and that's what I was doing. I was mentioning a lot of the guys that went like around when you went, and right, and right. they were and they were really good NHLers. But um, you, the way you wrote it, I was I was impressed because uh, I think you came out of Providence, right? So you're you're you went out of college, but but tell everybody about the weird rule because I wasn't even aware of it. Like if you didn't get drafted in the first two rounds. So what happened was because I was at a U.S. high school. Uh, I ended up taking a very unconventional road at the time. Now it's very, very different. Now it's more conventional as Canadians that play in U.S. high schools and U.S. colleges more prevalent. My dad played at St. Lawrence. I was going to the call the college route because that's the way that he wanted me to, you know, wanted me thought it was the best route, get your education and get mm-hmm. to play hockey for free. And, you know, at the time it wasn't really thinking about the NHL much, you know, it wasn't, it was not really even part of my, my thought process at 16. I was just trying to, get through, you know, just trying to play hockey at some level. I'm also a guy who quit hockey at 14 for a year. So I was kind of like trying to figure out, you know, what exactly am I? You know, I didn't know who I was uh, necessarily. And, um, but I took that, that route, uh, that route. And I went to a U.S. high school and I just, uh, it allowed me to get on the ice for 90 minutes to two hours a day, every day, which, you know, as a kid, you're 15 to 18 years old. Those are, those are big time minutes, you know, to be, be able to get there and to, to enhance and become a better skater, better thinker of the game. And that's what happened. But it was a uh, it was a different route uh, for me. Um, it was completely off the cuff. And uh, and by my last year at Northwood, I was probably uh, I I mean I I say it's legitimately probably the most ret- recruited high school player in the country, coming out of Northwood that year in Lake Placid. So uh, I'd come a long way in three years. But uh, you know I'm a huge believer in in the U.S. route now. I think college kids, uh, you know that 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 road ended up proving to be incredible. And what's funny. Um, a guy that I played with later in hockey, Ron Hextall and Shell Samuelson was my partner. Their kids ended up going to Northwood. Right. Uh, you know, and, right. and now Matthias, Matthias Samuelson went to Northwood and here he is playing for Buffalo now, you know? So, right. um, you know, again, it was, we've had, we, we've had good lineage at a school like that and it really was a hockey factory, but it is, it's one of those places that's kind of transcended time and uh, it's put out a lot of really good players over the years. I'm really curious about that because you you did talk a lot about your prep school days in the book, which I thought was really interesting. And I am curious, you know, you mentioned Matias Samuelson. Do you think the prep school system overall is still a good path to the NHL? I I think just for getting human skills, I think it's a good path, you know, if not just for a hockey player, for an athlete in general, I just think that learning how to become a better student, if that's the road you're on. You know, I mean, it's a different world now, you know, and there was once like a, you know, there's like three decades of my life where, you know, 
if you didn't go to college, you're like, oh, you know, you're not going to make it in life, which now is just a complete joke. You know, like mm-hmm. that's not absolutely a, fa- a falsity. My kids go to college or basketball players. I hope my son goes and plays football. But, you know, you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. But I just think from a standpoint of, of if you are, if that's what you're if that's what you're going to be or you're going to have a job, you know, you, you have a, a, a destination in life. Maybe you want to be caught be in um, uh, the business world or in, uh, in finances. I think that's a, it's a great thing, you know, to go to a prep school to learn that. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's any better or any worse, but I, I just think you learn to become a person more. You're, you're younger, you're on your own a little bit more and it gets you more adept, I think to, I guess, kind of the world in a lot of ways and get yourself prepared for th- things that may come across your plate that you're not expected for, expected to see. Yeah, you also wrote about um, one thing that I pulled out of here. You talked about the importance um, of the trade for Eric Desjardins and how he might be one of the most underrated guys in the national media. And I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I until I really started covering the Flyers a lot, I always thought of him as a good player, but I didn't realize how many things he would do, the impact on the game, the minutes, what he meant in the locker room. Like there were so many intangibles with him. Yeah, I mean, he was Mister Everything. You know, like he did, he did everything on the ice. He was a super pro off the ice. Um, you know, and I and I was lucky to call him partner for ten years. You know, we loved playing with each other. He'd tell you that now too, even through my uh, my my late career issues. I mean, it never deterred what we were as a great pair. Um, and and you know, one of the best. I think well, I mean, one of the best ones in the league. We were for ten years, certainly, and. Uh, uh, and, and certainly in the history of the Flyers, I mean, there's no doubt we 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 were you know, anytime you get a pair that's together for ten or twelve years and yeah. you know playing number one lines for that long, I, you know, it's a testament. You know, obviously to me being able to play with a guy like Desjardins, but really Derek as well for the professionalism he was. We used to joke about it when I played, you know, and it's true. If there were you know we had two Eric valuable Eric's on the team at the time, Desjardins and Lindros, and we used to say that if you had a choice between who, if one of them had to be injured for an extended period of time, which Eric would it be? it would have been 88, you know, we could have survived without him for extended period. We could not survive without Eric Desjardins for any period of time. That's pretty much speaks volumes in a nutshell about the importance of that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by built bar. We've been talking about built bar for a while now, but I'm telling you, you got to try these. I'm talking about built bars, new reimagined flavors, cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, coconut brownie topper. First off, for anyone who hasn't tried Built Bars before, they're literally the best tasting protein bars ever built. They've revolutionized nutrition as we know it with 100% real chocolate, 17 grams of protein, shockingly low sugar, and only 130 calories. Just sink your teeth into that first bite and it'll change your life forever. You're probably wondering which new flavor is my favorite. That's an unanswerable question to say the least. They're all unbelievable because they're different and so how about ordering a mix box and you could try all five flavors for yourself. Get 15% off your order right now by using code LOCKEDON15 at built.com. Built, you got to try this. Check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you talk about a lot of your teammates in those years and and those that have been supportive of you. And Craig Berube was one of them. Uh, you said he was a, a big part of your decision to get sober. He wrote an absolutely lovely forward to the book. And what what did and does it mean to you to have him in your corner? 
Well, I always have. And, you know, I think like with, with uh, I call him chief. I still do. I mean, no one's going to get me to t- turn that name off because it may not agree with somebody, but he's chief and he laughs about it. So he goes with it. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we, when we played together, we became very, very fast friends. We became, I mean, we ran together pretty hard too, right? Like, you know, so we were teammates and, uh, you know, we partied together. But I think ultimately is, you know, my career wind, winded down and, uh, you know, I had gone through so many personal issues, you know, late in my career, loss of my sister and, and just trying to kind of, you know, find my footing after, you know, basically being raised in a men's locker room all those years when your hockey career is over. I was blessed enough to be involved, uh, you know, with the Flyers again to do broadcasting. And that's where that's where Chief had seen me. And I think he'd still seen a couple of my struggles before I ultimately packed it in. And we had a couple of good conversations about that. But he was, uh, you know, for a guy that, you know, partied hard with me and we had great laughs and supported each other as teammates. You know, he was there for me again, too, even as he, his coaching career began and, uh, you know, recognized that, you know, kind of I guess the party was over in a lot of ways. Um, and, it was, and it was time to, you know, I think he understood that that was it really wasn't something that I was even enjoying anymore. Um, and I think he understood that. And we had a couple of things that happened that set off some events and we had a good chat, me and him. And, and uh, you know, he still calls me. Uh, we, we still talk a couple of times a week to this day. And uh uh, you have a great, you just have an amazing relationship. You know, they lost, was it seven or eight in a row last week? And I, yep. you know, they finally beat, um, I think they, they beat Arizona or somebody last week to snap it. Then they went to Vegas and I asked them after the, the first one, I said, did they get you, did they get you the puck? Did the team sign the puck for you? <laughs> <laughs> of course I got a, you know, a presumed chief answer, which I would always get. And, uh, but that's the kind of relationship we have, yeah. you know, I poke fun at him for losing seven or eight in a row. He's won a Stanley cup and, and also, you know, found a way to win 16 games and, you know, with a team that was last place in January 1st. He should have somehow been the Flyers coach, which is an absolute a dog and pony show that he isn't, um, that he wasn't, that, you know, that he, you know, I, heck, he decided that he wouldn't be his guy going forward. And then I'll tell you what I think derailed him in that. It's interesting because, like, I covered the the St. Louis Cup and I, I was really, I saw, you know, the impact Baruby had on just behind the bench with the roster, everything else. And we covered him here in Philly. I think Steve Mason kind of did him in. I think that whole goaltending thing was not something that helped him and helped his wow. career here. Well, then we, then we guess, like, I guess in Philadelphia, then we could have all been done in every coach yep. from the goaltender since Bernie Perron on. So, yep. you know, again, it's, uh, uh, I, I don't think it, to be honest with you, Russ, I think it was just a general manager who got a job and just wanted a change to make a change. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was kind of, I, th- I thought it was very short-sighted because, you know, I remember at the end of the year, guys were saying, well, you know, Chief's the best coach we've ever had. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, if you said he's the worst coach you ever had, he probably would have been back. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's just kind of the way it works in pro sports sometimes. But he's he's had a lot of success. But yeah, he did a great a great job. Uh, Rachel with that forward and I couldn't be ha- prouder uh, and happier to have one of my truly great friends uh, not just in hockey but in in life uh, be able to to be able to present that to people and uh, certainly proud proud of him doing that for me it's a great thing. So, something I'm going to follow up here that, that just blew me away um, you were talking about how you once lost 75 grand in a casino like in 1999 but then I think it was that same night you you get a second marker and you win 125,000 in like nine or 10 minutes. Like that would have killed me. Just the whole thing and process of all that would have just killed me. I don't know how you could go through that. It was me and Johnny LeClaire actually at that at the <laughs> table. He, he had like 15,000. He was down too. And I looked at him. I said, can you give me half your money? I'll write you a check when we get home. And he said, yeah, why not at this point? And 
we went on we went on about a 20 minute run that was epic and it looked like the pit boss was looking like he was going to get fired yeah yeah. because he just let two guys run like down like that kind of money and we that was not something we did it was we were drinking we got caught ahead of ourselves uh i guess we both were probably doing pretty well at the time but Mm-hmm. Uh, we were with our wives, but I, I do remember that uh, rest. And I was like, Oh my God. And I remember getting out of there and I came out, I walked out of there with a big stack of cash and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I paid back the marker, paid everything back. And so did Johnny. And we left, we, we left there like, you know, two eight year olds just got like the little party bag at the end of a set, like at the birthday party leaving. Right. And, and I remember it was like seven in the morning. We hadn't slept. And, uh, but you know, again, those, those are some of the stories. Like I didn't really elaborate. I, I have hundreds of stories like that, yeah, you know, yeah. like that, that, that gone through time. And, you know, and, and I think one of them was, you know, and I think the best part is, yes, I, I did. I developed a problem that became very much my problem at the end, but I don't take back. I have like no take backs or gimmies, uh, you know, that I'd want back from this life that I've lived. I mean, I, I had an unbelievable run um, as a player in Philadelphia, first of all. I mean, I have an, an adoration for this town that, I don't have enough time to talk about how much this city means to me, how much the people and the fans do here. Um, but I had a hell of a good time and, and yeah. And then like anything, you know, I had to make changes that were for better for the betterment of my family, for my kids, especially I had little girls and a son on the way that, you know, I, I feel I've changed their fortunes and their future too, by making the right decisions in life and, and, and uh, putting those days behind me. That doesn't mean I still don't have fun. I have a ton of fun. And that's part of the messaging in the book, too, is you don't need to have any drugs or any alcohol at all to have a good time in life. Mm-hmm. All you need is uh, is to see other people thriving. That's my kids doing well, healthy, uh, having good friends uh, and good family. And that's really all you need, because you know, I think when you get older, and you realize the things that don't matter as much uh, and the things that do matter, matter most. And, and that's that's the things that have always meant the most to me, friends, family, good times and, and good people. And and nothing much has changed from that. I had an addiction to alcohol. Uh, and I was able to put that to bed and still continue to do that one day at a time. And then that's, that's my story. You know, the rest of it is, you know, the hockey stories in there are great. I, I loved every minute of it. I had a blast, you know, I had an absolute incredible time competing for this team, working hard, uh, trying to, you know, trying to get us to help be part of a, a the solution every spring. We didn't win a Stanley cup in my time here, but like I always say, there's only, only one team wins at the end of the day. And it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, but I could tell you as as a guy who's written a lot of books, when you're putting it all out there and and listen, the publisher expects you to 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 be very honest, the the author, you know, the guy writing it with you expects it to be very honest. It's hard when it's not. Um you're very honest in this. Like it's hard to just put your life out there and let everybody read about it. Yeah, and and the reason for that is is I work in the addiction recovery community right now. And and for me to so how this book started was I've been asked probably three times before to do books for whether it was Triumph or other books. And I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons why was I was a, you know, as a character in the locker room and I played here a long time, you know, I was a big voice in there. I was one of the, the guys that kept things light, had seen a lot of things uh, in what I guess some people would call a polarizing time in Flyers hockey, you know, with Eric here and the way everything kind of transcended and transpired at the end and, uh, this is a team that should have won Stanley Cups. I'm not going to lie about that. We, you know, I think that's at least had one Stanley Cup. Probably thank Marty Brodeur and the Devils for a lot of that. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, an outstanding <laughs> goaltender. I mean, really, what's the difference between the two teams? If you put Marty, I think he's Brodeur, the greatest goalie ever. So if I, you put Marty Brodeur on those Flyers teams, well, I have five cups. Although I'm not just, I'm not just saying that. I, I'm no, no, I, I don't yeah. disagree. Although so, you could have had Mike Richter on one of those teams, and they went and it got Curtis, Curtis Joseph. 
and, and we could go on and on forever. And, you know, Clarkie thought that Beezer was a better choice because Roger said so. And hindsight's twenty twenty, And, yeah. you know, we make mistakes. But, I mean, we, we still probably could have still won a cup with just an average marginal goalie. I mean, Boucher was good that in 2000. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we had a chance to win with him as a rookie that year, and, it, and that fell apart. But, um, no, it was a good run here. I mean, we've had, we've had some great teams. But I think the 90s teams, as I was saying, hadn't really been talked about. I think you see a lot a lot of stuff that went on because of Clarkie, uh, the Lindros, and, and all the, the things that went on, the, the soap opera type of stuff that happened off the ice. But I think for me to be able to do what I do in the community, and then when I told them I have a book, but I also have an added layer, a real big layer that I want to tell my addiction story. I want to tell my story of recovery and how I ended up coming out the other end of this and and uh, how you know life is not over. Life is just beginning when you stop. So you know, for me to do that, I had to strip myself completely naked, as I yeah. say it all the time. And, and that's the only way to be honest and to tell people and let them know where you are at is to be totally honest. I've always, I've never been a guy who's ever, you know, bullshit through anything. I just want, I've, I've told the truth, whether it's about the Flyers hockey team, uh, whether I was broadcasting all those years. I mean, I made sure I made a strong connection with the fans to let them know that I'm always going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And even if some people don't like to hear the truth, you're going to get it from me all the time. And I think that was this very much with this book. You know, I think that's, that's where I poured, poured a lot into it. I knew that for me to, to be able to help other people, I had to, I had to tell exactly to almost a point, um, what my struggles were and how I dealt with it and what I felt like in that moment for someone else to be able to understand that and say, Hey, yeah, that's the same thing. When somebody walks up to me now, the book's been out for two or three weeks. When someone comes up to me now and says, Hey, I read this part and Oh my God, did it ever resonate with me? That lets me know that it's a winner because that's telling someone else, like I'm pointing out something else. And and, and I think the biggest thing, the good thing with the book is I think it's going to help somebody who's, who's stuck in the red zone and just cannot get across the goal line. And I think if they read this, I think in their own, finding their own blueprint or what they're looking for, I think they're going to be able to find something in here that's going to help them get across the goal line. Yeah. Um, it, it, it'll be a personal choice for you. It's not for everybody. This Everyone's recovery is different. Everybody's second chance is different. But for me, I think if you look at and listen closely and pay attention to what I did, I was, you know, as I say this, I was probably one of the biggest biggest drinkers in the world. I don't, I don't say that. Like, I mean, on the entire planet. So if I was able to do this, I believe anybody can do this. And I, and I don't let anybody get away with a free pass telling me they can't because I did this and I continue to do it one day at a time. I'm just curious what you think about the current NHL substance abuse program and the support around it. Do you think the league does enough to support people who might be in your situation? No, no, I don't, to be honest with you. I mean, and if a guy like Gary Bettman is listening to this, get on the phone and give me a call. Cause I have about 50 suggestions I'd love to make, but until someone like Gary Bettman or Bill Daly or somebody in the league decides that they're going to pick up a call, uh, actually initiate a phone call with a former player about their addiction. And what I think, or what I've also seen, I've did 15 years as a broadcaster too. I've only been removed for just about two years and still mm-hmm. go to flyers games, still pay attention on snow, the goalie podcast, which we run every week. So you know, it, it it's a it's it's enough time, and if it's not alcohol, trust me, guys will do something else. That I I they're they're just young guys. You give them enough money, and you give them and 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 it's all about challenge, right? Like playing in the NHL is about a competitive level, getting there, staying there. And I've just been around long enough, and I've seen too many things in my lifetime now, especially in the line of work I'm in, to know that young people are unfortunately going to try to find another vice, especially that come with the pressures of playing in a pro sport. It that's life. You know, and, and again, I, I mean, I could sit here and tell you all day how many lawyers I've seen that have issues with alcohol. There's tons of them. 
There's hmm. pressure in jobs like that. Doctors, yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying because misery likes company. I wish they didn't exist at all, any alcohol. I wish we didn't have to deal with any of this stuff. But I just know kids long enough, uh, well enough, and I know that if it is one thing they're going to do, um, they're going to find something to do mm -hmm. because that's what happens. And until Gary Bettman and the league want to have a real hard call and a hard discussion about really making an honest and discoverable um, mission forward, then unfortunately guys are going to get stuck in a rut. There are tons and tons of National Hockey League alumni that are struggling from either past addiction use, mental health issues, trauma issues. And until these get addressed, uh, they're going to continue to get sent and put into 30-day rehabs. And that's great and everything. The league does take care of that. To me, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is aftercare. When they get out of the street, out of the rehab right. again, where you're safe for 30 days, what are you going to do for these guys so that they're able to go on and live a productive, meaningful life without having to chase their drug or alcohol abuse or dealing with their mental health issues? What can the National Hockey League and society do for these former players when they when they leave these places and when they're detox and when they're ready to fully become a member of society again and start living a normal life? I'm proof that's the other part of it, too. You can go out and work. You can get a job. You can be a, a totally different person. It doesn't have to it, – it, doesn't necessarily have to do anything to do with the sport you played, but there's a lot of people out there. I think that are going to be looking and willing to help you if you just ask for it. And I tell people all the time too, Russ and Rachel, like if you need help, you can call me. You can actually get a hold of me at any time you want, especially on Facebook Messenger or or I and I have a website now too where you you can get me at Bundy Recovery at ChrisTerrian.com. So great. I don't want to hear anybody telling me that they you know they can't get help. Uh, or they don't want to get help. I'm a resource. There's lots of resources. But when you're asking about the NHL and former players, the NHL needs to do a much, much, much better job uh, lending support. They have the pieces in place. They have great doctors. Brian Shaw, uh, that's done work for the league for years. They have people trying to help uh, in many different ways. But until an action plan is really put out there that they're going to be able to carry a guy through six, nine, 12 months to try to make sure he stays on his feet, uh, it's a moot point at, at, at this point. And, and to be honest with you, 30 days is great. Gives a guy a chance. But uh, unless you could carry him beyond that 30 days, you know, right. you, you leave it at his disposal. And I just don't feel safe saying that that's going to be a, is a winning formula because I don't believe it is. We are going to have more with Chris Terrian coming up next. So I wanted to ask you, um, we all know famously that you always covered Yarmir Yager really well, and you talked about the book, Your Tight Gap. Now, the game has changed. So if this game were today, I don't know if you'd be able to do the same kind of tight gap that you were able to do then, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. 100%, I'd play him the exact same way. Okay. And the reason, see, this is the, the one thing and the advantage I have, and some people say, well, he was a big defense. I could skate. I was one mm -hmm. of the three fastest players on the team with like Lindros and other guys, and everybody knew that. So people are like, oh, he's a big slug. No, if you thought I was a slug, you didn't watch hockey. And and so I tell them that. So I didn't care who you were. Right. Uh, if you could skate, I'll skate with you. I'll skate with the fastest guy in the league. Um, but that's what Yager, yeah, you have to. If So if, if I'm coming back into the blue line and I'm giving a guy like that space, the first problem people don't realize or they did know was that he's a left-handed shot that played on the right side. So if he's coming down, he could cut into the middle so fast. So what I would do is I'd leave him to the perimeter, and he'd try to go wide on me all the time. And he took it as a challenge. Right. It's like I was playing, almost like playing fish with him in a lot of ways, saying, go for it. <laughs> but and coaches don't want you to do it. that today. I kept slamming him in the boards. Yeah, coaches don't want you to cover like that today, though. Well, they, 
they want to tie, they want to cover guys like with in, in like where there, there's two guys, you put three. If there's three right. guys, you put four. It's called a swarm. Yeah. I don't I, listen, there, there's less physicality, but it, uh, I'll say this that that will never change in the, the, the future of hockey, the current situation in hockey. If you don't have a good gap as a defenseman against a skilled player, you're dead meat. Right. And you're, you're either dead meat early or you're dead meat late because if you're going to give a guy that much more time and space, your your team's going to be in trouble anyway. So gap up. Young defenseman, if you're listening, gap up. Don't sink back in the zone. Yeah, and keep moving because otherwise they're going to get right by you. Yep. But the league tends to be a little copycat in terms of building championship teams. Do you think it's possible to be innovative in the nhl or are we stuck in this reactionary loop yeah I, I think teams that win i mean you had tampa who was just a super talented hockey team with the best goaltender and best defenseman in the league right so they won two and then colorado does the same thing kind of like you know with the best defenseman in the league moderate goaltender that found a way but their team was excellent mm-hmm. um i saw craig baruby win with a throwback team you know, in St. Louis, not so long ago, what, like four years ago. Um, so I've seen lots of different things happen in the way the game is played. It, you know, I, I'm still a big believer in uh, a really good defenseman, like an excellent, if you can get a number one defenseman, having solid top four. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a I'm a big forward building guy. I'm a, I'm a big center guy. Um I'm, you know, get yourself some scoring wingers, but I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about the depth down in the third and fourth lines and having a first, a top two lines that has skill, you obviously have to find those right pieces. I mean, you're not going to win with no skill. You right. have to have some, like even, even Florida that year had Petrangelo in defense yeah. and, and Bennington was outstanding. Uh, they had Tarasenko uh, yeah. who, and, and David Prawn. So they did have skill as well, but those are the kind of skill guys you want for me that, that play with, uh, you know, a, a sense of desperation. So there are teams like that. And then, but the last three years with Tampa twice and um, uh, in Colorado, a lot of skill, but man, a lot of grit too, especially up front. They really, really are, uh, I thought, ultra aggressive with the puck. And that makes things really hard to defend. They're good so teams. For your team, though, um, based on what you're looking for, you know, a top center, maybe eventually a top defenseman. Those you're mostly getting through the draft. It's very rare that you could get one in a trade or especially as a free agent. You, you can. And like, you know, look at, and, and you got to be sure, right? Like, I mean, look at Columbus. They, um, they had Seth Jones, right? And they ended up trading them or he got picked up by Chicago a couple summers ago. He got way overpaid. Yeah. Um, and, and he's found, struggled to find his own niche again. Like he doesn't even look some nights like he belongs like it. He's a great player. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think if you get a good defenseman, like who's, a, who's a really solid, solid defenseman, uh, you're going to only find those guys through the draft. Cause once a team has one, they're not going to get rid of one. Right. Like it's right. a Nathan McKinnon type of guy. You're not going to be able to go sign a Nathan McKinnon. No. Uh, those guys will be signed for long-term contracts forever. So that's why it's so important in the draft uh, to do it right and get it right. Because if you don't, uh, look at Nolan Patrick. You know, let's set the Flyers back, whether you want to believe it, probably five years, having a yeah. number one guy that you had slotted as a number one center. Well, a big guy like that, that that's come in and just couldn't get the job done at this level. And that that hurt your franchise. And then look at the other four guys that got drafted that year out of those five top picks. They're all playing. And, but it's and, also what you yeah. pass on sometimes. So, like, when the Flyers passed on Cole Caulfield, I'm curious as to would you have drafted him or would you have shied away because of his size? I, me personally, I would have drafted him because I'd seen him. I covered him in the NTDP. I was like, this guy is a stone cold scorer. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that you can have a guy like that as your number one guy and expect to win a Stanley Cup. I don't. Cole Caulfield is not Nathan McKinnon, and he's right. not Nikita Kucherov, and he's not uh, uh, Steven Stamkos, you know, like those guys at the time. So he's a, he's a really good player. Um, but he's like Goudreau in a lot of ways. Like, I like Johnny Goudreau. I think he's a really mm-hmm. great regular season player and gets a lot of points. Power play gets you a lot of wins, secures you a playoff spot. But he's not – he'll never be the leader of a team that's going to bring you to a Stanley Cup. And, uh, like, look at McDavid. You know, McDavid is that guy. Yeah. And he doesn't have the support cast. No, he doesn't. You know, so that that's a problem with Edmonton. And so that that's why the fine line is, is like that. And same thing with Toronto in a lot of ways, right? They have, like, high oh, yeah. talent. But, man, the drop-off – after that is significant and it's really really hard it's hard to win uh and expectations fall on usually those four or five guys right that's what happens in toronto everybody wants to to hang them out to dry for you know the what's transpired no playoffs but but that is the reality if you're gonna get paid like that and you're, you're gonna be four or five guys in a salary cap era they're gonna draw all the money then you're gonna be the one that's gonna face the scrutiny when it doesn't work out either yeah you played in the uncapped era where sometimes you could buy your way out of trouble yeah, and Philly didn't have a problem doing that, right? No. Like, you know, Snyder here, and, uh, you know, they they wanted, he wanted to, you know, he loved his fans. He wanted to give his fans a chance to win every year. And sometimes it didn't work out, but, you know, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe they made the Adam Oates trade. I mean, you can say what you want about Adam Oates, but uh, Adam Oates was a hell of a hockey player uh, for a long time, and they still took a chance in what was one of his best years to come in here and try to slide, slide maybe, you know, have a great playoff run. It just didn't happen. So wrapping up, uh, what is the one thing you want most for people to take away from your story as it relates to hockey culture and trying to move things forward? Just that, you know, what an or- ordinary, normal guy grew up very, very ordinary, like, you know, made, made it to the NHL, but also developed, a, you know, an affinity for alcohol. And I think that that's when you look at it. And I think it's, I'm not, I'm not, certainly not alone in that, but I want people to know that, you know, if, if you do have a problem, you can ask for help. You're going to get it. Uh, your life is not over. Your life is just beginning. You're not a loser. Uh, you are not going to be despised by people. You're going to be have an opportunity to make amends to people, to apologize. And I think when you really find out that when you do stop or you make that life change, that life is just far better off. And and that's, I hope in the book, and I hope when people hear my story or listen to these podcasts, that they understand that, yeah, I was in a lot of pain. But I'm not anymore. I'm much, much better. I'm, I'm, I feel like a much better person. I, I'm uh, the dad my kids had expected me to be. I have a great relationship with them, and and those are the things that make me happy. So I mean, it's a it's a good read. I think it's I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of themselves in this book, um, and I think that's really what what makes it unique is that you're going to find. I'm, I'm in many ways, even though I played hockey, I'm, I always felt I was the everyman in many ways. I made it, uh, you know, I stayed in, in the league in a lot of ways. I was a very normal guy. I was approachable to anybody. I, You know, I'll go to a Wawa and I'll sit and talk to five guys at the checkout line. That's just because, you know, that's just what I do. You know, that's who I am. And and so, I mean, again, that's, that's what I tell people. Don't be surprised by anything in life. But if you do come across something that maybe uh, you're not comfortable with, uh, and for me, that was that was disease, the disease of alcoholism, you have a, you'll have a chance to come through the other side if you want it bad enough. And that's the message of ultimately what this book's about. It's about finding yourself in a, in a gutter and being able to lift yourself on up out of it and, and, and get yourself back living again. And, and some of those things you hear in movies sometimes, you know, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. Well, I decided <laughs> I was going to get busy living again because I got a few years left on this planet and I don't want to waste them. Yeah. The book's name is road to redemption. We want to make sure people know it, but also where can they buy it? Where can they see you at some book signings? 
Yeah, so actually, I had uh, had had my first book signing, which was actually perfectly appropriate at Dagwood's uh, Pub in Northeast Philly. And I was at a bar, but you know what? I go on, and and what I found there was probably about thirty people in recovery that came out to the bar, which is great. The food was awesome. Uh, we had iced teas and ginger ales, and everyone else had their beers and wine. But you know what? We can do that. I can do that now because I got almost twelve years. Uh, you can get the book on triumphbooks.com. Uh, uh, try yeah, triumphbooks.com, mm-hmm. barnesandnoble.com, and of course, the most popular one would be Amazon uh amazon.com and just just hit the search engine for uh, road to redemption uh, by chris terry and it'll come up i was selling my own for a while here at home um and i ended up becoming like my little own little amazon fulfillment uh, company so if i get some more in and i want to get back to that line of business i'll do it but i'm going to take a little a, a week off from that break so i'm not going to publish publicize myself as a shipper anymore <laughs> right. amazon triumph books and barnes and noble would i would say would be your, your best bet Perfect. Thanks so much, Chris. No Thanks. problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. I had a blast. And uh, Flyers have uh, have a little bit of an interesting scheduling here right now. So we need to uh, the Flyers need to get themselves out of the out of the gutter right now. And yep. um, uh, because it, you know three games they've lost three games twice I think in the last two weeks in a row. And uh, the one thing I think they want to avoid early, especially the fans, is getting in one of those like nasty eight or ten game ruts where you find yourself right behind the eight ball again and, and you're chasing it. So good start. Uh, but they're coming back to earth a little bit right now. Uh, yeah. But I will tell you one thing: it's just a hockey guy. I sure admire the effort and uh, the, the more determination that we've seen this year from this team. I don't think anybody, nobody expects this team to do any damage at all in the playoffs. If they don't even think they're going to make it, uh, but they did need to reinforce and, and kind of rebuild what the culture was of this team. And I think in a lot of ways, Torch is trying to do that. Uh, it's a rocky road. It'll be rocky some nights for these guys, but. Uh, it is what it is. They, they, you know, they've, they've driven the, uh, they've driven the bus into this position and they're going to have to drive out of it too. All right. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks guys. Have a great week. All right. Once again, thank you so much to Chris Tarian for joining us on the show today. We talked about a lot of different things and I was just really intrigued by some of what he had to say, especially about, you know, the current state of things in the NHL. Yeah, no question. That was a, a bit of an eye opener. Uh, you know, he was right about not having the right goaltending. I was right that they should have had Mike Richter and not John Van Beesbrook, who I, I clearly grew up liking both, but Richter was better at that point. Uh, really interesting conversation, very open and honest, and it really is a good book and you definitely should get it. We will put a link to purchase the book in the show notes. So check that out as well. Uh, that'll do it for today's show. We'll be back again tomorrow. We are going to talk about that Bruins game. We're going to do some prospect profiles, uh, J.R. Avon for the flyer side, plus some draft prospects as well. So it'll be a good prospect day for you. As a reminder, we always want to hear from you. Send in your mailbag questions via Twitter at Lockdown Flyers, or you can email us at LockdownFlyers at Gmail. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. Thanks for making Locked On Flyers your first listen today. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. It's the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and their take of the day. It's available on Odyssey, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day, everyone.